Um, I, I get excited to preach the word. I love this. This is my passion. Um, and I have a good word for you this morning. Uh, at least I think it is. <laughs> have you ever spent time uh, in communion with God? You know, maybe needing an answer, leafing through your Bible, trying to find something. And I don't really mean just, have you ever read your Bible to just check it off the list? I know sometimes we'll, we'll fall into that. I don't mean that. You know, a lot of times us Christians can, can get that way and we'll, we'll pray to check it off the list or we'll read to check it off the list. I don't mean that. I mean really sitting down and asking the Lord to reveal himself to you through his word, to reveal some wisdom to you, to reveal some real knowledge, something you can take in, something you can receive, something that you can utilize in your life. Lord, teach me a truth today. Lord, I need an answer to this particular question that I'm in. You ever done that? I pray and hope that you have. And if you have, uh, you'll realize it's, it's so such a blessing to sit and learn from God, to be his student. I was praying the other day and I told him that, Lord, I want to forever be your student. I don't care how old I am. When I become 80 years old, I, I still want to sit at his feet and be his student. You know, the last however many years of my life, um, I've tried to dig into my word a little bit more. And I can honestly, honestly tell you that some of the most special times in my life have been spent alone with God, digging and rooting around in His Word. They are some of the most special times that, that I have enjoyed and that I love, just searching and learning in my Bible. Um, and it has led me to something, and I've said this before from this pulpit, but it has led me to be completely convinced that the Bible is the inspired divine Word of God. Uh, that, that is the conclusion that I've come to. I truly believe that. I have a scripture for you this morning, and this is an important scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And you know our booth always tries to get them up on the screens there. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Peter says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man... But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, this is a very important verse because it challenges you as to what you believe. It actually forces you into a corner and causes you to make a decision. It's either the Holy Spirit moved through men to write the Bible like that verse just stated or some dudes just wrote this book. That's the decision that you're forced to come up to. As many of you may have heard of Dennis Preger. You know, he puts out a lot of media. Pretty good guy. Um, he puts it this way. Either the Bible is divine or moral supermen wrote it. Those are really your only two options. Either it's divine and comes from God or some sort of moral supermen wrote this thing. And it's sort of important that you decide which one. Did it come from God? Is it divine in its origins? Was it inspired by the Holy Spirit? Or just did some fellas make all this stuff up? Very important that you decide which one you believe. Did it originate with man? Or is man the medium with which God worked? What one is it? you got to decide. Is it divine? Is it from God? I mean, let's face the facts this morning, brothers and sisters. There are other religions. 
We, we know that, right? There's other religions, and some of them, they claim that their div- writings are divine also. They claim that their writings are the truth also, the Quran. Quran states that its writings are divinely inspired. The Book of Mormon claims that its writings are divinely inspired. Buddhism and Hinduism claim to have divine writings in their traditions as well. And then you have the Bible. What is it about this Bible that supposedly sets itself apart in its divine revelation than all those other claims of divine revelations? From all those other religious texts, there's all kinds of religious texts in this world. How do we know that we have the correct religion? Those other ones claim to be divine also. They claim to have the truth also. Are we Christians just because we live in America and it's a pretty good chance that we're, we're going to be Christians rather than Hindu or Buddhist? Because predominantly we've always been a Christian nation. It's a good question, isn't it? You know, brothers and sisters, as it turns out, the, the Bible does help us to answer these questions. It does. Not a lot of people realize this, but the Bible just happens to be extremely unique among all the religious texts of the world, past and present. There is nothing, nothing like the Bible. There is nothing like Christianity, nothing at all like it. Other religions, other religious texts don't even come close to making the claims that Christianity makes. Brothers and sisters, the Bible stands alone, separate from all the other world religions. So listen to me, for today... I'm hoping and I pray that God will allow us to go over some of the unique things that the Bible offers to the world that no other religion preceding it did. Okay? The the Bible is vastly different morally. Way different morally. The Bible is vastly different theologically and it stands alone in stark contrast to all other world religions that attempt to explain ultimate reality. Now, you may have been saved for a long time and you don't even realize how unique the Bible really is. I mean, it offers things to us that are so foundational, they're such a bedrock to living, to society, to culture, that we don't actually even see them. We don't actually even realize them until we start looking for them. Now, I I compiled a little list. Actually, the list is very long, but we only have so much time this morning. So this is just a short list of things that the Bible and nothing else offers and introduces to the world through its writings, and through its teachings, and through its revelation. Okay? So just a short little list of things that the Bible gives to the world that that causes it to differentiate itself from all these other religions and all these other claims to divinity. Okay? Here's our first one. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. By now you ought to know how much I love Genesis, especially those first few chapters. I love them. The teachings that come from them are never-ending. Genesis 1, chapter 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, we'll, we'll stop there. Do you understand that this is completely unique to the Bible? Completely novel to the world. Because it means that God created the universe. 
God created the cosmos. God created everything that we see, everything he created it, which means he is not a part of the universe. All those other religious texts before the Bible and at the time of the Bible, Babylonian religions, pagan religions, all of their gods were a part of the universe. And then these Hebrews come along and they give us this revelation of God saying, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, not this God. He transcends the material universe. He transcends it. He is the being that created the known universe. He is outside of them. He is beyond them. He is greater than them. In all the pagan religions, the God, all the gods and the goddesses, they were a part of the universe. They were in the universe. Not our God. Not the Hebrew God. Not the God of the Bible. He is not the sun. He is not the moon. He is not in a vast body of water. Those are the works of His hand. Those are His creation. The Bible, brothers and sisters, is the first religious text to give us this revelation. No other religion. The Bible gives us that. The God of the Bible is not a part of nature. God of the Bible is above nature. He is beyond nature. God of the Bible is non-nature. He is supernature. He is not natural. He is supernatural. This is a divine revelation only from the Bible. Prior to the Bible, all other religions, did you hear what I said? All. Prior to the Bible, all other religions asserted that gods or gods, goddesses are part of the universe. They offered us sun gods. They offered us moon gods. They offered us fertility gods. They offered us lightning gods. They offered us deities of animals and so on and so forth. Thousands of years ago, the Bible comes along and turns that belief on top of its head. It presents us with a God that is beyond all of those things. Not only does the Bible introduce the world to a God that is beyond nature, it actually dethrones all those other gods. It does. It dethrones them. We don't even see these things because they're so foundational. But it does right there in Genesis. We're going to read it here in a moment. What the Bible does is it comes out and gives us this revelation of God who is beyond nature. And then it punches all those other gods right in the eye. Watch, listen to this. Genesis chapter 1 verse 14. Here. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days, and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. You see, brothers and sisters, you got to get to verse 14 of chapter 1 to see that the God of the Bible, that, that the, the God that the Bible reveals to us, created the sun. He created the moon. He created the stars. God says, I made those celestial bodies that other people worship. I made them. That is God's way of dethroning all those other gods. While all those pagan religions worship the sun and the moon, the Bible comes along and reveals to us that all those false deities you are worshiping, they were created by this God. The God of the Bible made those things. As a matter of fact, he didn't even get around to making those things that you call gods till the fourth day. 
That's the, the Bible's way of swatting those false gods out of the way, of dethroning them. Do, do, you, do you see that the Bible, that's what it offers the world. A God that transcends nature, transcends the universe. That is unique to the Bible that's sitting on your lap. That, it, that, that is the God that emerges to us out of these pages, divine revelation. Here's our second thing, that the Bible, unique, novel, the Bible offers us, okay? It, it offers us a universal God, a universal God. Let me explain that. We'll read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over, dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. You see, the Bible, this is the, the Bible's way of introducing us to a God that is a God of all people, not just specific people. The other religions, that's what they did. They were gods to just specific people. This is a universal God. God made mankind in his image. They started reproducing. We're all made in his image. All of us are little image bearers. This, this is a religion that is not just for one race. It is not just for one ethnic group. It's a God for all people. Someone might argue, no, 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 no. Yahweh is the Hebrew God. Jehovah is for the Jews only. You know, if that's what you believe... Sadly, you're mistaken, and you need to look at what's called a biblical timeline. Israel, or Jacob, doesn't even come around until centuries and centuries later, where, where really where the Jews get their name from Judah. Abraham doesn't even come around for centuries and centuries after the flood. What does all that mean? It means the story of creation is the story of us all. It's the story of all of us. It's for everyone. This God that emerges to us out of the scriptures is God for everybody. This is the Bible's way of stating that God is a God for all people. We're all made in His image. Are you a human being? Then this is your God. This is where you came from. This is your heritage. This is your lineage. This is where you came from. The Bible is the story. It's for all of us, not just the ancient Hebrews, not just the Jewish nation. It's the story of us all. It's how we got here. In the creation account, there's no mention of Jews. There's no mention of Hebrews. Therefore, it's my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's the story of humanity. Do you understand? This comes from the Bible only. does not come from other religions. These are ideas that, that, that the Bible reveals to us. And they're so foundational. We don't even realize these things. Not only... Is the Bible the story of us all and for us all? But the Bible reveal or the, the God that is revealed to us in the Bible, it's the God of all people, of all nations, of every kindred, of every tongue. The, this God of the Bible. This is not what the pagan religions teach. It's not what they taught. Not at all. God is a God of short people. He's a God of tall people. He's the God of English-speaking people, of Spanish-speaking people. 
He's the God of people with dark skin. He's the God of people with light skin and everybody in between. He's the God of people from the east. He's the God of people from the west. He's the God of people from the north and from the south. God is a God to all people. This is what the Bible presents to us. These are things that only the Bible presented. This isn't a copy of some other religion. These are original from this text. God is a God to all people. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he goes off in one of his sermons on Mars Hill. In Acts chapter 17, and he preaches this. Listen, Acts chapter 17, verse 24. Apostle Paul says, he's he's preaching here to the Greeks. He says, God, that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. And has determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and find him. Though he be not far from every one of us. The Apostle Paul is preaching. The Apostle Paul who is Jewish. He's preaching to Greeks who are of a different nationality. A different ethnicity than he was. Apostle Paul's teaching them about this God. Saying he's a God to all of us. We are of one blood. There are not different races. That is what the Bible teaches. The world tells us oh, that's a different race. They're a different color. They're a different kind of people. That's not what the Bible teaches. What does the Bible teach? That there is one race. The human race. One blood. There is one blood. One blood the Bible teaches. God is universal and accessible to all of us. All of us. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All of us are descendants of the first couple, Adam and Eve. All of us. I love, I don't know if you remember, this is going back several years, but we did a teaching from Ken Ham. It was called Foundations or The Foundations. I can't remember. Something like that. And he got to the, the different uh, races, but it was actually, he, I liked his phrase. He called them people groups. I, I like that better because people did disperse from the Tower of Babel and they settled in different geographical locations of the world. But I liked it how, you know, these geneticists, they've kind of, tried to theorize and, and work up these models that they believe Adam and Eve were a shade of brown. And from them, it's no problem at all to thousands of years later. Here we are, and you have brown people. You have light brown people, and you have dark brown people. Not a problem for the Bible. Not a problem at all. Some of us are very light brown. Some of us are very dark brown. There actually are no white people. You ever seen a person that looks like this? Nobody looks like that. You ever seen a person that looks pitch black? No. There are very light people. There are very dark people. But every person is a shade of brown. The Bible teaches us that. You get that. That that comes from the word of God. Only from the word of God. No other religion gave us that. The Bible gave us that. One blood. One race. The Bible gives this. The Bible offers this to the world. It came from the word of God. We got to realize this stuff. The the Quran wasn't written until many centuries after the New Testament was compiled. 
many centuries. And, and I've got some issues about even how that came about. But are, are you starting to see how unique the Bible is? It's very unique. The things it offers, the, the revelation it presents, very unique. You, you study these things and you see what it offers the world. You th- see the teachings that, it, that emerge out of these scriptures and you start to go, I think it might be inspired by the Holy Ghost. I, I think it might be divine like it claims to be. The Bible teaches us that we're all made in the image of God. I can't even state to you how important that is, how foundational that is to to us even today. These teachings are thousands of years old, but they come from God who changes not. We are little image bearers, every single one of us. The Bible teaches us that we have intrinsic worth because we're little image bearers. Every single person in here, Every single person outside these four walls, they have this little inscription made by God on them. Even if a person is deaf, blind, confined to a wheelchair, they have no more or no less worth than a person that is whole. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible presents to us. That all people are created in his image. Do you understand what that statement has done throughout history? Anyone ever heard of William Wilberforce? Kind of from Great Britain, England type area. It was that teaching there from the Bible, not other religions, from the Bible that caused him to see the Africans being captured and entering into the slave trade. And he started reading his Bible, and he started saying, I don't think slavery's right. I, I think this is wickedness. I think I should start standing up against this. And he began to, he entered into politics, and he began to legislate against the slave trade. It is this teaching, this teaching is where that came from in history, which then impacted our forefathers Our forefathers in this nation, they they started incorporating these biblical premises into the founding doctrine of this nation. And they started saying, we got to do something about slavery. It ain't right because all men are created equal. We can't have this. Do you see what the Bible, its impacts on this nation, on world history? All men are created in the image of God. All men are image bearers. Even if you're, if you're extremely talented at business, if you're extremely talented at, at athletics, or maybe you're the worst at business, or maybe you have zero athleticism, the Bible teaches you are still valuable. If you're too skinny, if you're overweight, you have value. Why? Because you're an image bearer. This originated with the Bible. Not another religion. No other religion preceding this text offered these things, taught us these things, revealed these things. It's unique to the Word of God. And it causes me to look at it and say, I think it's divine. I think that scripture we started out with in 1 Peter, I think it was telling the truth. That the Holy Spirit moved on these men of old And caused them to write these divine things. 
the Bible. It is the Bible that teaches us humanity that has intrinsic value because we're made in the image of word. The, the Bible gave that to the world. Why? Because its teachings are divine. Here's our third thing that the Bible is unique to the Bible, and it, and it offers us. It offers us an invisible, incorporeal God. Now, you might think, well, what in the world does that mean? The Bible teaches that God is a spirit. Okay, You, you can't really touch him or, or, or grab him or, or hold him or something like that. He, he's an invisible, incorporeal God. Oh, he's a spirit. The entire Old Testament, entire Bible really is predicated on the fact that God is e an eternal spiritual being. Okay, The Old Testament presupposes this fact. He's uncaused. He's beginningless. He's changeless, he's immaterial, he's timeless, he's spaceless, and unimaginably powerful. And it is the Bible that introduces the world to this invisible, incorporeal God. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now you might say, okay, I believe you, God's a spirit. You know, we, we know his presence is here this morning, but I mean, I can't point it out to you. I can't grab him and hand him to you. He's a, he's a spiritual deity, spiritual God. Okay, I, I'll give you that, but what's that mean? Like, what's, what's the significance of that? Well, turns out, it has some pretty serious implications. Very serious implications. Because do you know what that means? It means that there is, in fact an unseen spiritual world that exists. That's what it means. There is more to life than just the physical things that we see. That's what it offers to us. That's what this Bible offers to us. There is another aspect to life that is intangible. There is more to life than just the short 80 years you may have on this planet of accumulating stuff. There's more to it than that. That's what the Bible offers us. Life consists of more than just the stuff. There are things like justice that exist. There are things like love. There are things like morality. There are things like peace. There are things like hope. There are things like courage that are more valuable than the tangible world. This comes from the Bible. These are things that money cannot buy. They can attempt to, but they'll fall short. They'll fail. You know, I was watching this one particular Christian apologist. I should probably spend too much time on YouTube, but I like to watch certain apologists, you know, people that defend Christian faith. Sometimes I'll watch little debates, you know, an atheist versus a, a, a Christian, and they kind of go back and forth. Sometimes I find that stuff interesting, and I'll watch some. And There's a show, I know a handful of you are uh, familiar with this, but there's a show on YouTube called Ask Cliff. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Um, a guy named Cliff, he, he's awesome, super brilliant man. I mean brilliant. One of them guys that knows everything about everything. I don't know how you become like that. But he's awesome, and he, he travels around to different college campuses, and he preaches, you know, usually out in a little public square somewhere. And 
he does questions and answers. People can stop him and ask him questions. And like I said, he defends the Christian faith, and he is a brilliant man. And I, I, I watch his show every now and again. Not all the time, but every now and again. Well, he was pre- preaching on this one particular college campus, and this one, you know, looked like a college-age girl, kept on railing on him. Just, you know, when he would say something, she would say, oh, that's baloney, and ah, oh, you're full of it, and, you know, just, just giving him a hard time. She, she was saying, there, there is no God, there isn't even a spiritual world, only the material, you know, she must have been atheistic in her beliefs, and she was adamant, adamant, because he, he finally stopped and started talking just with her, and she was adamant that she was a materialist. Now, when I call or say the word materialist, I don't mean someone that buys and likes a lot of material stuff. I, I mean that they believe in matter only, molecules only. Almost that there is no spiritual world whatsoever is, is what a materialist is. And this girl, she said that. As a matter of fact, she said, I am, I'm a materialist. There is no God. There's, no, there's nothing else except for what we see here. Life consists of molecules and chemicals. That's all. What you think is love is just a chemical, so on and so forth, all that stuff. So Cliff, you know, as, as nice as he could be, said, young lady, hang on, just let me ask you a question here and give me an honest answer. And he said, what is the most important thing in your life? And he said, be, be honest with me. And she kind of thought for a minute and she responded and said, it's my family, my loved ones. So Cliff responded to her and said, so you're saying your relationships to those people are what is the most important thing in your life? She said, yeah. He said, do you know what you just did? You're not a materialist. Because you just said that the most important thing in your life is something intangible and immaterial. It's those relationships. It's the love that you have for your family, for your friends. Brothers and sisters, do you see the importance of the divine things that the Bible offers to the world? These things are divine. They're not just some dudes wrote some stuff down that sound pretty good. They're divine. They've had an unreal impact on world history. No other book has been printed like the Bible has. No, no book has even come close to outselling the Bible. Man, it's so important, the divine things that only the Bible offers the world. Now, there are many, many, many more things that the Bible, in, it's, it's unique to the Bible, but obviously we don't have time for them. We only just kind of went over three today, actually. We didn't even get time to discuss the Ten Commandments and the impact that they've had on the world and what the Ten Commandments offer the world. We didn't even get time to discuss the implications of the Bible presenting a moral God to the world, a God that is moral and good. All other gods, listen to me now, all other gods, all of them prior to the Bible were capricious, cruel gods and goddesses. The gods of paganism, so on and so forth. We didn't even get a chance to discuss the ramifications of the Bible presenting a, a, a personal God to the world. That's unique to the Bible too. He's a personal God. 
We didn't even get time to discuss the ramifications of a non-sexual God to the world. Do you understand that? The, the God of the Bible is desexualized. He, he's not a sexual being. All other religions, these gods and goddesses, were extremely sexual. Matter of fact, you see all kinds of sexual practices even all throughout uh, religious history in some of these other religions because that's a part of their religion. Not the God of the Bible. Do, do you see how it, it's so different? You're comparing apples with oranges. When you try to line the Bible up with other religions, just apples and oranges. So we don't have time to discuss all those things, but we do have time for one more thing. One more unique thing that only the Bible offers. His name is Jesus. Now, in all honesty, technically speaking, Jesus is not unique to the Bible. You say, what do you mean? Well, for example, he is written about in the Koran. He is written about in other religious texts. But the Lord Jesus is original to the Bible. Those other ones are just trying to swipe a piece of him. He's predicted in the Old Testament and presented to us in the New Testament. Now, Jesus is God's salvation plan since before the foundations of the world. I can't begin to cover the topic of Christ whatsoever. But I want to look at one little tiny thing that only the Jesus of the Bible offers to the world. That's only unique to this Christian Bible. Little thing called salvation through forgiveness of sins. I know, I know you might say it. You would think it would be so much more technical than that. But it isn't. He will forgive you of your sins and you can obtain eternal life. Jesus offers the world forgiveness to anyone who would confess their sins and believe on him. And I know it seems like it should be more theological than that. But it isn't. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Listen to me, church, I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. I don't deserve it. I've never told you I did deserve it. I, I didn't earn it. I didn't tell you I earned it. It wasn't because of my family bloodlines. I've been forgiven. It wasn't because of any achievement of mine that I've been forgiven. It wasn't because any particular behavior of mine. It wasn't because of any particular good deed of mine. As a matter of fact, the fact that I'm forgiven and have eternal life has very little to do with anything that I did at all. But it has everything to do with what Jesus, as presented to us in this Bible, offers to the world. You say, how do you know that? Because my Jesus told me, expressly told me. I like how he says it here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. We'll read a few verses if I can invite the band to make their way back. Uh, don't tune out on me just yet, church. It's got a little bit more. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, 
and he blessed it. And he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink ye all of it. Listen now, for this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Brothers and sisters, listen to me now. Listen closely, because I don't want anyone to be confused here. I mean no disrespect towards other religions. It's not my place to come up here and poke fun at them and make fun at them and be disrespectful. I mean no disrespect to other religions. But I'm not Hindu this morning because I'm not good enough to be Hindu. I'm not Buddhist this morning because I'm not good enough to be Buddhist. I'm not Islamic because I'm not good enough to be Islamic. I wouldn't be able to keep those religions and all their rules. It wouldn't work out very well for me if I was one of them. They teach that you must do good and you must be good in this life and at the end of it, you might possibly, maybe, be able to attain some type of good afterlife or some type of good reincarnation or some type of uh, nirvana of some type based on your merit. I wouldn't do good in a religion like that. It wouldn't fare very well for me. I wouldn't make it. I'd be reincarnated as a toad or a lizard or something like that under their religion. They're not for me, church. They ain't for me. Christianity's the religion for me. Why? Because I know I need forgiveness of my sins. I need the blood of a sinless lamb that cleanses me from all of my iniquities. Because my flesh resists him at every step. I mess up. I want to do good. I try to do good. I do my best, but I keep messing up. I need forgiven. And only Jesus of the Bible offers that. Only Jesus of the Bible offers me what I need. I need. What is it that you need? I need a substitute. I need a substitute to pay a sin debt for iniquities that I incurred that will satisfy the justice of a holy God. Only Jesus of the Bible offers that brothers and sisters. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. There is, listen to me, there is no other belief system that can give you that. There is no other belief system. There is no other religious text that can give you that. None else can give you that. John 3.36 says, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Can anyone say amen to that this morning? Hallelujah. Listen to me now. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus, this, this man that I tell you about that emerges out of this text to us this morning, I encourage you, come and know him. Come and get me. Come and get Pastor Joe. Come and find Les. Come and find Daryl. There's plenty of people that will pray for you and that will introduce you to this man that comes to us out of the Old and the New Testament. His name is Jesus Christ. You won't find him in any other religious text. Only he can offer you redemption through his blood that he gave on the cross of Calvary. Church, these altars are open. Come and seek him. Let's worship. Hallelujah. Amen.